Welcome to Finding Your Sexiness. I'm your host, Gail Thackeray. And today I'm very excited to be interviewing a dear friend of mine, Danyan Brinkley. Finding Your Sexiness. I'm your host, Gail Thackeray. Sexiness is living your life to the fullest. We interview leaders to find out what is their secret to success. What is that special ingredient that makes you stand out? Sexy and I know. Well, hi. I'm very excited. This is our very first podcast. I've actually been doing a few pre-recordings. We've been doing not only the audio podcast, but uh, we've also done some interviews on video, which are going to be available on YouTube. And uh, this is a fun, exciting, it's a new concept, finding your sexiness. Um, I've been asking what people think about that and what is their take. I know my feeling is it's it's not about the way you act or the way you look. It's a lot deeper than that. Uh, but I've been asking some of the people on my site and in my workshops, and uh, I wanted to read you a couple of responses I got. So um, John from Denver said, sexiness is confidence and the way you carry yourself. Well, absolutely. Sexy is definitely um, charisma. Uh, but I think the way you carry yourself and your confidence actually comes from inside. I, I believe that that's kind of an, an inward loving yourself that you're actually showing on the outside. So I love that. Absolutely. Confidence. Confidence is sexy. Um, Janice from DC says, The smile. I love it when someone smiles, a genuine smile. Totally, yeah, absolutely. Again, I feel like somebody's smiling, they're, they're connected, uh, especially, you know, eye contact, but this is all a kind of an outward showing of charisma, sexiness that really comes from the way that we are loving our life, uh, loving ourselves, on our purpose. And then I have one more here from, this one came in on an email. Dave from Upland, California says, <laughs> it's kind of funny, girls with big boobs showing cleavage. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is kind of disappointing and I, I've had a few that were in this vein and this is kind of exactly what I think sexiness isn't. And for those of you that know about my past, I just recently wrote a book about my past. I used to think I knew what sexiness was, but to me, it's much more than that. There's a much deeper meaning. And to me, sexiness is more, it's another word for success, but it's more than success. It's, you know, living your life to the fullest and with purpose and you know, really being on your inner journey and then letting your outward charisma come out. So I'm kind of kind of disappointed with Dave from Upland. Um, and I've, I've had a few like that. So, you know, I, I get, I'm going to kind of get some mixed, mixed reviews, I'm sure, on this subject. Um, and it's funny, I had a lady when, when I did my lecture at Conscious Life Expo and I asked the, the crowd, I asked, what do you think is sexy? And people said all you know, kinds of different things. And one lady, who was kind of an older lady, said, taking your stuff off. <laughs> and I thought, oh my gosh, that is so funny. 
and you know from her that was that was kind of amusing um but usually get that from yeah you should get that from guys anyway um let's see what else i have uh janice from winchester said authentic now i was kind of surprised at this and i've actually had several people say words like being authentic being honest which I wouldn't normally expect people to come up with right away with the word sexy, but really that is what we're talking about. I love that because it is about living your authentic life, about doing what you really want to do in life and being successful in, and not just, we're talking about career, but we're talking about you know your family life, your love life, just your life in general. Being authentic, being true to yourself and doing what you really love, following your passion, because passion is one of the, the great things when we're passionate about what we do. And it doesn't matter what we're doing. If we, if we really are engaged in it and we really love it, that's what comes out. And that's part of what I think is being sexy. But it's, it's a new concept and I'm getting a lot of you know, different views on this. And so I've actually, I've had several guests and I'm going to be asking them what is their secret to success and what they think about the word sexiness. Coming up, I've got Danyan. Uh, Danyan, if you don't know him, he wrote a book called Saved by the Light. They also make, made a movie of the week called Saved by the Light. It's about how he got struck by lightning, actually died, went to heaven, and then obviously came back to tell his story. Um, but he had a, an amazing review up there, remembered a lot of his experiences. And so kind of had this overall view of life. And one of the things he talks about in his book is how he goes to the other side. And the first thing that happens is they have this like a life review where they say your life passes before your eyes and you get to look at what you've done in life, the good things and the bad things. And Daniel in his book talks about how he was not very, he says he was not a very good person, he was a mercenary, he was a bully. And so when he goes through this life review, he sees the things that he's done or said or hurt somebody, but he also experiences the feelings that those people felt. So he kind of sees the opposite of it which of course was a huge, you know, life-changing shift. And I've actually heard this from other people that have had these near-death experiences where they said, some talk about going through the tunnel and they talk about having this life review where they get to look at what they've done in their life, you know, perhaps what was their sole purpose, what they were supposed to be doing, who they've touched, who they've hurt, who they've helped and being able to see the other side of that. So if we could just kind of get a handle on that now before we have to go up there and judge ourselves, because it's not, it's not like God's up there punishing you. This is you looking at yourself and looking at what you've done and what, you, what you're proud of, what you did right, and what you maybe didn't do right, that you probably have to come around next time if you believe in past lives, and you have to come out and sort that out as karma, they call it, which is is not the universe or God punishing you, but you trying to, you know, figure out what you did maybe wrong before and, and try to do that better. So what we're talking about is, you know, why not look at your life now 
and take an overall view and look at what who you've hurt in your life, who who you've maybe done something bad to that you need to ask them for forgiveness. Not literally go to them and ask them, but you know, basically in in seeking forgiveness for yourself and forgiving others. And I think a lot of the time we get caught up in this minutiae of little details in our life. So you're you're worried about this thing that happens to be going on right now in your life and you know, you've got some argument right now with your brother or you're, you know, you've got some financial problems and these problems seem like this huge big deal, but really they're kind of small minutiae that's distracting us and taking us off in our life purpose. I, I do believe that we have a we have a life purpose, that we come here and that we have a, a very special purpose in life and that we have something we're supposed to be on track doing and that we're supposed to be doing that and being successful at it and loving it, loving our life, and then we get distracted with all these little problems and these things that just kind of take us off track. We get kind of tied up in the minutiae. So I'm excited to talk to Daniel and ask him because I think, you know, he's gone and he's seen it from the other side and he's had this kind of overall view of life. And so, you know, I think part of it is is looking at your overall life and not worrying so much about these little details and, and realizing, okay, this is just temporary. This is just a little problem. It's not a big deal. What's like, What's my main purpose? And, you know, how can I really be feeling fulfilled in my life and really be, you know, doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And, you know, to me, that's your sexiness. That's finding your it. So uh, I'm excited to ask Daniel what he thinks. And I'm here with my dear friend, Daniel Brinkley. So Daniel, um, well, he's died a few times, most famously died and wrote a book called Saved by the Light, and they made a movie of the week about you, but he's actually died a few times since then. So we're here to talk about what is sexy, what is your sexiness, what makes, what makes your life fulfilled. And having gone to heaven several times mm. and uh, seen what the other side, I think you probably know more than anything about what it is that we need to empower our life and to live our life to the fullest. Well, what people have to realize is outside of this physical level of consciousness, the universe is sensual and it's based on desire. But when you come into this third dimensional reality from that side, we develop all kind of opinions and psychologies. We take words to categorize situations and events. And sensual becomes a strange word from the Vic, like the Victorian era. And then desire becomes something that's wrong to, to do until you frame it spiritually, to desire to connect with oneness. Sexiness is to find a bonding relationship first with yourself. And then second, to take that bonded relationship and open up to, to integrate it with someone else, okay? Most of the time, people find comfort just in themselves. And when if they do that, that is the sexiest point that you can be, that when you look in the mirror and you see you and you love you, because when you love you, you have to ask yourself why you love you. And then all of a sudden, you're realizing what you're expressing and hoping for others to see in you. That's sexy. 
And it's all done with you thinking about you and looking at you and searching through you. Because how the universe works is there is a dynamic between people searching for each other. All right, I believe that there's one person for everybody, but I believe that they come in twos. They come in soulmates, which I never hope I ever have met my soulmate. <laughs> Who in the world wants to meet their soulmate? Why? They call you on your crap 24 hours a day. Okay, and I have way too many issues for that. And the second is a twin flame. Someone who wants to build something with you. And when you think in those terms, then you have set yourself in motion with your sensual desire to be happy with yourself in celebration with someone else. That's my definition of sexy. And you're, you have a wonderful relationship with Catherine, so... Well, I have a relationship with six of them. I have five girls at Catherine, so I have a wonderful relationship. I mean, she's smarter than me. She kisses really well. And she's a delight to be around. And her, her, her style of criticism... The style in which she lets me know how stupid I'm being or how stupid it sounds has a divine grace to it. <laughs> I don't get mad about it for about three days. So when I've corrected it, seen the action, corrected it, and then realized how she figured out how to get me to do it, then I get mad, but that lasts about a minute. So do you think most people go through uh, meeting different soulmates and having difficult experiences before they find their twin flame? I think that what people do is they subject themselves to the whim of the universe because they're not making a plan. And the worst thing that a person ever does is hopes for something. If people understand the term when you hope, hope comes from Pandora's box, an old Greek myth. Well, the last curse released from Pandora's box was the curse of hope. So hope is based on nothing. So when you're hoping for things or psychologically positioning yourself to hope for something, it has no basis to come into being. The universe is structured. The universe is dynamic. The universe is actionable. Okay? And it is in order and fair and just. Realizing that is where you really get an idea on how to bring that person into your life. You saw all this stuff about the law of attraction. Well, I like the law of conservation of energy, okay? <laughs> because I, I've had good relationships, but this one I've had, this relationship has been the greatest thing that ever happened to me, you know? So when a person has to set in motion to bring in themselves that partner, they're hoping for this and hoping for that. What you do is you set an intention. You take the time to write down what you want in a relationship. You sit down. And I usually tell people to do this this way. You take yourself to lunch. And from the time you order to the time that food is delivered from the waiter or the waitress, you are in a state of grace. It's natural. Because you are... you. You must express gratitude or thanks for whatever's in your life, and that's what you must do. 
So you take a napkin, it's a paper napkin, and you take a black ink pen and you draw a line down the center on the left-hand side. You write what you want in a relationship, which is ethereally you reviewing you. You're watching you. And on the right-hand side, you write why you want it. The universe does not really care what you want. It cares why you want it. Because as it's unfolding its plan, its dynamics to make more appreciation, more admiration, and more inspirational elements or incidences. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like my upgrading your spiritual IQ. Then once that is in place, then when you eat that meal, you have given your life direction. You have given it, and every mouthful of food that you eat, and every time you chew it, it has been given a focus and a a goal and objective to bring those people or those persons into your life. So once a person understands that, when you set it as a structural motion of intention, and in that intention you, you match it to your physical, which is eating and drinking. You breathe, you eat, and you drink water. When you add desires to those three categories of things, when you take a breath, when you eat, or when you hydrate. You have connected physically and ethereally based on what you put on that napkin. What people don't ever really understand, Gail, is the universe is very orderly and so well-structured that uh, how to achieve goals and how to accomplish it. Look, I am famous for getting up from the dead. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about what it's like on the other side for people who have not read your book or heard well, about Well, first, this. nobody ever dies. The, the fact that you think that you die is one of the most ridiculous traps ever set for humanity. Nobody dies. It's in the ridiculous. There are not words to describe what it's like over there because we have to use terms that are five cents relatable. Well, there is no five cents relatable over there. You are it, and it is you. I mean, I always try to get across to people, we all want to be loved and cared about. What happens if every cell in you knows that you are loved and cared about by the most divine, loving, sensual, sexual force that could ever exist? You know, everybody knows I think God's a woman. (laughs) So... Once you, once you put it into that category, you begin to feel what it's like over there. That heightened moment of a surprise, you know, it's hard to surprise people, but that surprise birthday or that surprise flower, that surprise moment, that instant, that one instant of when it's expressed, that's that moment where, where you get a glimpse of what the heavens are like. So it's that feeling, like a continual feeling, like that Sensual wonderful... Sensual connectiveness is the only... You know, you try to find words. Sensual connectiveness and a desire to be there. You know, I I keep coming back because I, I made a deal. I want to accomplish something. And I wrote about it 25 years ago in a book called Saved by the Light, 25 years ago. And I have just always walked the path. I, I do what I say I'll do because I made a deal, okay? And I will get it done, and I will be, I've had enough near, I've had one, I've had three death experiences 
okay, and four near-death experiences. So I've had six of these experiences, and I've been a hospice volunteer for 40 years. So I understand this part of life that we call death, and I understand how it operates and what people and what issues that people deal with and what people have to go get in their minds is who they really are. Do you think that everybody has a sole purpose, that they're here for a specific mission or a desire that they have to do? Absolutely. You choose to come and you're chosen to come. What's most important is that you were chosen because why people always put themselves first is it's this thing called duality or separation of who I am and how do people see me and blah, 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 blah. But you were chosen or there was no way you could get here. Well, then what are the rules by which you're chosen? I wrote a book called Secrets of the Light. Okay, here's how you got here. Here are the four rules that guide and guard those things. You know, love, choice, belief. And then I define it because when you start to look at that you're a spiritual being and you look at saved by the light, at peace in the light, the secrets of the light, 10 things to know before you go, I'm defining these things as I grow. As I get older, I see better languages and better words, but the power has not changed. Everybody functions as a spiritual being in human form under three rules. To appreciate or be appreciated, to admire or be admired, to inspire or be inspirational, to be inspired or be inspirational. Everything everybody does comes under those three rules, and you know I use that in my lecture to say, okay, I'm going to prove that you're all spiritual beings. All right, now if you think that you can tell me anything you haven't done in your life since you were two years old to today, it's not based on one of these three things, then you're a spiritual being. And I say, okay, now can somebody please tell me? Nobody ever raises their hand because you're a spiritual being. That is the key to ultimate sexiness. And when you were on the other side, they actually showed you visions, uh, tools to help people to come back and to be able to teach people. So these these came from the visions? Well, the visions were, I never saw it as, I always call that Nostradanian. <laughs> because I never paid any attention to the fact it was the future. And it never was important to me that these were future events. I thought it was the timeline that they gave me to work on. And as these things would come true, like now the chip technology, uh, this stuff I wrote about 40 years ago, you know, that this would come into play and this would happen. Uh, Chernobyl, uh, the fall of the Soviet Union, the chip implants, the new laser-like technology for healing. As these things came into play, then they were the things that I would say to see where I was and unfold in my mission because spiritualistic capitalism was one of the things and that was writing books and 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 building the Twilight Brigade. Then it was the center program, a way at which a person who was preparing to transition or caregiver or someone dealing with grief could go through a program that gave them a way to interact with those dimensional realities. So I didn't. I put it in the VA, in the Veterans Administration, and it never was allowed to make it work the way I wanted. So I gave that 21 years because it's their timetable, not my timetable. And I am now going to complete that task. And then I will be tired of near-death experiences. 
I will have to say I will miss you and your podcast <laughs> probably more than anything else other than my family. But, you know, these things happen. It sounds like you've been there and you've had such an amazing time that you almost are not afraid. You're not afraid to go back when it's your time. No. And not only am I not afraid, you miss it. You miss that place where you are connected to. I mean, people go, it's so hard to take sensuality and formulate it into a place where it's always sensual. You know, heaven is orgasmatic. <laughs> you know, uh, the, that, that moment in when relationships culminate in that, that, add, that magic called sex, that those moments of anticipation and then that inner activity and that connectiveness is as close as you can get to what the divine is like and what being in those realms are like, okay? And when you think about sex, quote-unquote, its product is to help you realize that you are a god. Here's the thing that people never stop to think about. If they believe in God or they believe in a divine force, and in believing in that divine force, think of everything that you would think or hope that that divine force is, loving, caring, compassionate, protective, all those things. And then stop and think at how many times a day you have the opportunity to be that. And not only that, you can create life. And I was watching your daughters downstairs, Little Miss, Little Miss... Uh, Sydney, my little list. Yeah, the horse master, the yeah. horse whisper. Mm-hmm. And Gil, the, the next one up... Yeah. She makes the same facial expressions as you. You, I mini me. Oh no, question! I could pick out. A, you could line up a thousand of them, and I could watch her and know which one was you. DNA is such a wonderful, loving thing, and I think that I don't know how you would say that that's sexiness, but that's a sensual thing to behold that you can create life and that life takes on natures and characteristics of you that could only be a divine interaction you know it can only be a divine interaction to create it because I was standing there watching them being salespersons and it was wonderful when, when she was really young, I heard her, overheard her when she was about five telling somebody and they asked her where babies came from and she said, well, my mom said that I'm so perfect that God had to create me. <laughs> <laughs> and that's so true. So where to, and that, that is an absolute true mm-hmm. statement. People have to get past, Gil, they have to get past how much importance they put on what everybody else thinks. Now, you use a lot of humor in your talks, in your lectures. Is I mean, I, I don't see, like, you coming back with a very serious side. You're coming back showing people to have fun in their life and to put more humor in their life. Well, I didn't die and I didn't go to hell. <laughs> well, if you grew up as I grew up... I mean, if anybody was going to hell, it would be me. <laughs> well, I've been over there four times. I've never been to hell yet. So what you think? You think I'm going to take life serious? You think I'm going to take people serious? No. All that hellish and all that stuff that people listen to as a religious context through there, that's all utter nonsense. It's nonsense. We have to get past that. We have to get to the place where 
we realize we are responsible for our actions. And if I'm going to be every person I've ever encountered, and I'm going to feel the direct results of my interaction between them and that person, okay, then that's how what runs my life. If I'm going to be you, I want to be, I want to be loved, supported, compassionate, and protected. And I want to be able that when I see my life pass before me, like I said, in the eyes of the people I've been with in hospice, I'm going to see them look up into the face of the divine. I've already seen that. So I got that down pat. That is a sensual place to know it's going to happen. But after four times of this and seeing how it's structured, we as the human beings cannot take life as serious as we make things. We can't get as serious and as emotionally overwrought about things and not take quiet spiritual action to change them. It is not about being angry. It's about being supportive and corrective. People have to understand their love is the power that transforms, not anything else. And their emotional opinion about other people is what creates reality. And if we've killed 60% of all the wildlife on the earth in the last 150 years, we have all gone crazy. And I was listening to that little girl that's in Brooklyn, from Brooklyn, that's in the Congress. Mm -hmm. I mean, whatever her name is. And she said that they were going to have to stop eating so many hamburgers. I was listening to her reason because the world's going to come to an end in 2012. And I was, I mean, in 12 years, and I was listening to her. And how she says about framing eating a hamburger, I thought that how is she making her mistake in marketing? You know, you because <laughs> people have to understand the way you look at something to change its course. And the way you look at yourself is how you change the course. So she's talking about cows farting and it's causing global warming. <laughs> well, so I was thinking about that. And if you look at it from a point of view about a cow, how much water does a cow drink? And how much food, how much food and waste does a cow generate? And if you add it up, one cow, one cow consumes enough water and enough grain to feed a thousand people for a year. So if you can feed a thousand people for a year, as opposed to one eating cow. beef, eating beef, and the the return on the input and the output and what is edible. The economics of it, not the not the climate change issue, becomes important. And it's not that you 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 quit eating any of that. It's that you be beware of the the nature at which it is delivered to you, and the enjoyment. I'm always talking about what's sexy. The enjoyment that you derive from it, based on the cost. We all get into relationships, and we put up with relationships that we know are not good for us, but we're afraid of who we think we are based on listening to what they think we are. And must, people must agree that it's true in order for them to stay in that relationship. Well, that means you're crazy, okay? <laughs> that means you're crazy, okay? And if you accept the fact that you're crazy, well, that's okay with me, okay? But we have to change our focus about what we love and why we love it. And then move out one more row. What causes us to love it and why we love it? 
okay, and then move out again. How does that affect the whole world? Well, I don't eat hamburgers, and I, you know, I might I might eat a hamburger once a year. It's not a point with me because I believe it's wrong of how it got to my table. It's not that I don't like a hamburger. It's not that I don't like steak. I don't like how it got to me. I don't like no waste farming, and I am not, as a spiritual being, going to contribute to that pattern. I'm not going to do it. Why? Because a part of me sees better. Now, you talk about in your book, when you go to heaven, or this place that's amazing, you first have a life review about all the things that you've done, and that includes the people that, that you've helped, but also the people you've hurt and the people you've done injustices to, and you kind of judge yourself. No, who else can judge you? There is no greater judge. There is no greater judge of you than you. Everybody says God's going to judge you and it's all in the big book. Well, that's nonsense. I mean, when you go to getting into Christianity, watch how funny this is. I got into this argument with this fundamentalist, right? Because I used the word sensual or something and he got all worked up. And I said, let me ask you something. I said, you're sitting here telling me that as a Christian, that I'm going to be judged by somebody at the pearly gates according to some record that somebody kept on it based on I'm guilty of what some Arabs was doing in the desert 6,000 years ago, right? You know, Adam and Eve. I didn't see no pictures. I I wasn't there. I didn't see no video. So how can I be responsible for that? And I said, well, let me ask you something. Where do people that you love go when they die? Oh, they go to heaven. I said, really? I said, so if they go into heaven, then why do we have funeral programs? Why do we have funerals? Well, so that people have a place that they can go and and still relate to their past loved one. You know, I said, well, if I read it right, nobody's going to heaven. The funeral for Christians was created so that you put your body in a box and it stays there until Jesus comes back with an army of angels and throws the devil in a lake of fire. Okay? So nobody goes to heaven when they die according to your belief system that you've kind of painted over. And you took 16 books out of the Bible. Okay? Well, if you read any of those 16 books, everything you just said to me is nonsense. (laughs) It's nonsense. You don't even believe what you're saying you believe because it doesn't fit with you being able to control. Now, that's unsexy. (laughs) So when you go to heaven and you do this life review and you see the things that you've maybe done to hurt people, does it give you a different perspective when you come back about how how you should live your life? It makes all the difference in the world. If if you really are going to be everybody you've ever encountered and you're going to see it from a very uplifted, intellectual, spiritually conscious being, Okay, the first part of my life, I was horrible. I mean, I, I dealt with things by hitting it in the face. Okay, <laughs> and it, you know, talk, you know, I used to have a saying, screw you, what you going to do about, what are you waiting on, and for Christ's sakes, have we got the talking part of this done yet? And then I would knock them out. <laughs> okay, 
And I got so good at it, I didn't even get to what you're going to do about it. I'd just say, screw you, and what? And then I'd knock them out then. Okay? And then my life was the perfect harmony. I had no problems. Everything was smooth. Then I died and realized you can't do that because I'm really hitting myself in the face. And you don't have to hit me. I don't have to hit myself in the face but two or three times before I catch on. And realize that the reflection in the life review is you doing it to you. Okay? And once that becomes a concrete facet of your reality, an immovable facet of your reality, you change it. I didn't change because somebody scared me, Gail. I didn't change because I can keep getting up from the dead, and I know it pisses them off, but I don't care about that either. You know, I don't care. What are you going to do? Kill me? Well, so what? The other thing is when you came back, obviously you've got some kind of psychic abilities. There's many times you've held my hand, and I've seen you just kind of hold my hand like that, and then you'll tune in, and you'll just come out with these incredible things. Mm -hmm. And it's like, how did you know that? And you'll tell me, like, the right thing at the right moment, and I'll, I'll say, yeah, I don't know how you knew that. Well, but I'll tell you how this works. Everybody, within eight inches of everybody's body is an energetic field. They call it an auric field. But I can see it. And if I see a certain color within that frame, I want to hug someone. I can hug them. And then I move into that energetic field, and I have a system. Uh, I call it the Genesis breath. When you breathe in, I breathe out. When I breathe out, you breathe in. And I synchronize that breath as I hold you. And then I can become you. And then I can look at what the issues are based on my point of view equal to your point of view. Well, in the course of the interaction of that, I pick up so much information. Like like today in my presentation, you know, I could talk to the dead. <laughs> that ain't no big deal. I mean, I'm over there most of the time anyway. I got more time over there. <clears throat> you know, when you look at time-space differential, man, you know, I got plenty of dead time. <laughs> so when you when I listen to someone's voice, here's the key. Everybody has a sound in their voice. Everybody has a mantra. The collective vibration of their body, that collective vibration has a sound. I can hear it. And in that sound, I can access what is the Hall of Records or the Box of Knowledge or the Akashic Records. I can access it. Everybody leaves through that, and if you come back, you come back through it. So if someone's talking like her dad, like a young lady today, she didn't really realize she was mad at her father for leaving her, and she's not married, and she can't have a decent relationship. And the reason is because she's still mad at him for deserting her because he wouldn't quit smoking cigarettes and drinking liquor, okay? And he killed himself, right? When she needed him the most, when it was the worst relationship she had, and he never paid attention to her, and he rationalized it. Okay, I have all that from listening to her ask me a question. And you saw, I mean... I, I saw, you just tuned right in and knew everything. Know everything about it. I've and seen then, you do that with me, totally. Yeah. And yeah. then what to do. I'm always, I'm not amazed by by tricks you know I would never fake or I don't do any of that crap I'm not like that but I'm trying to not sell a person out in front of everybody but I'm trying to create a plan of action that moves them spiritually forward based on what the real reason is and to see who's responsible we are responsible for every action you are 
Nobody's going to forgive you. I do believe in divine in intervention because I keep coming back. Okay? But nobody's going to be judging you but you. And nobody's responsible for your actions but you. It was called free will. And once you look at that and you take responsibility and not seek forgiveness, be given it. People say, well, you know, you forgive somebody. I mean, how am I going to let that go? Well, watch this. If it's a fair and just universe, that's what it is. Then as long as you hold something against somebody, as long as you're holding somebody against there, you're between them and retribution. So I always call forgiveness taking one step to the right. <laughs> you know, okay, I'm going to forgive you. <laughs> that means you're going to get what you got coming a lot quicker. So forgiveness is a power, not a weakness. And it's not a way to rationalize your issues. Well, I got to forgive them because they're going to beat me again next week. I got to forgive them. Mm -hmm. No, you set your intention. You write it down on a piece of paper because it's in the physical plane. You use a black ink pen, just like all contracts. Because once you use that meal program I just described, you're putting into play every actionable energy dynamic from the ground up. You're making a contract with yourself about what you want if God creates or the energetic brotherhoods or sisterhoods creates a relationship. What people don't do is keep their end. This is what happens to all relationships. You don't keep your end or you don't talk it through. Okay, and that's what happens. Because I have to talk through stuff like seven, eight times a day. So what about people that are striving for success, material things, money. Is that, is that still spiritual? Are you, are you able to have material success and still be spiritual? I don't see how you couldn't be. I mean, there's spiritualistic capitalism and there's godless capitalism. I mean, I sold a lot of books, millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of books. But I also created the Twilight Brigade, spiritualistic capitalism. I funded homelessness and women's shelters, the Twilight Brigade. So wealth has to do with responsibility and tithing. And so if you set up harmony and balance in your life, you're going to have ups and downs. I mean, you're going to have ups and downs because that's a part of the deal you made coming here. And the deal had to be sensual and desirable or you wouldn't have done it. You were chosen, okay, and then you choose Here's the worst part about a spiritual being. This is the worst part. You always think, because you're a great, powerful, and mighty spiritual being with dignity, direction, and purpose, there is nothing that you can get into that you can't figure a way to get out of it. So when you start to look at your whole life and you see how screwed up it is, you have nobody to blame but you because you figured out the most impossible way that you could never figure a way out of it to get yourself in the mess. Look at me. I just got this fixation about getting up from the dead. I don't know what it is. I must have listened to those Jesus stories too much when I was a kid, you know, because, you know, I'm, he only got up once. I make it a regular something I'm doing. <laughs> you know? So knowing what you know, and there's people, business people sitting there going, oh, I have this problem with business, or I've got this kind of block going on, or I've got this relationship issue. Give us a little bit of advice okay. on how to, like, you know, bring that vitality okay, to energy. Okay, that's four things. Okay. 
Okay. <laughs> the spiritual part about being in love has to do with you fine-tuning yourself. If you're going to be in love and you want to attract someone to love you, and it's that kind of deep relationship, then it's about you clarifying you, watching who you are and why you designed yourself to be what you are. You know, because we always have to go over who we are and how we identify ourselves. That's the most important point about a relationship. And then you do the exercise. Because if you're going to eat, drink, and breathe, then you do them for a certain reason. You know, I'm, I don't drink water or eat without blessing it and giving it a direction in my body. I tell it what to do. And I am able to control so many bodily functions that from the dead, I can get up, and I was dead 110 days ago. <laughs> I was dead, okay? Well, we're, we're glad you're back and around. And so that becomes a very important. In business, in business you have to look at, you have to look at one thing, need. And then you look at the desire for the need. That's how you target a market. Okay, and now in television, it's direct to consumer. What you're doing now, the specifics of being able to design what programming you want, and that now what the mind and the spiritual self is called AI. It's called AI, artificial intelligence. But all it is is replicating in the matrix that we create emotionally. Remember my big deal? Everything is when you breathe and what you emotionally are thinking about while you're breathing is what creates reality. And I know that sounds complex and yes, but it's how it happens, you know, and I listen to life reviews and I study it. And it's a conclusion that I've come to from studying thousands of people on their way and what they thought about what they did and then put it in a historical context. I can go and look at periods of history, the greatest generation, and see what manifested and see how it manifested. And so I know that the paradigm is correct, is trying to get people to change their modeling psychology about themselves. It's all about you. And when you think about you, you use the terms we and us. Instead of Y-O-U, we and us. And you automatically expand. You automatically expand. Because that is the true factoring nature of reality. We. We are not separate male and female. We're, we have male and female because you need a neutral. You need a place in the middle. You have proton, electron, neutron. You have, positive, new, you have a positive, neutral, and negative. Because this is an electrical universe. People don't understand that the body's electrical. They don't understand that the atmosphere is electrical. We say, how in the world can the atmosphere be electrical? Easy. Go on Google and type up and type up weather patents and type up weather modification patents. So there are 48 major weather modification patents. And how do they operate? They charge the ionosphere. Current. They charge the ionosphere with a certain frequency, which affects you have an atmosphere, a stratosphere, and an ionosphere. Proton, electron, neutron. They charge the atmosphere. Okay, so if you don't believe that the weather is electrical, then don't look up 
weather modification patents, <laughs> and you'll be okay. And, and you would know more than anybody that the weather is electrical. Absolutely. That Daniel was struck, struck by, by lightning. lightning. Twice. <laughs> And thankfully survived. So um, what's the most important thing you think for somebody to bring vitality, sensualness, sexiness into their life? Pay attention to their breathing. People don't get it. When you look at oxygen, when you look at how the body works, and you have to have the body functioning properly, the, the whole biblical that is your temple, it has to have certain things inside of it, nutrition, minerals, trace minerals. It has to have these things. But your breath and the depth of your breath and the control of your breath gives you an empathetic relationship with the environment that you're in. Look at yogis. Look at Tibetans, these monks. I mean, they even have people who are breatharians. They can live off the moisture in the air. When you can do that, which I believe that's possible because of what I'm capable of doing from absolutely dead, and I can have the pleasure of watching the experience. You know, I, I, 100 days, 110 days ago, I watched myself die, get resuscitated, die, get resuscitated. And I'm standing watching the nurse to my right, watching the guy break my ribs and watching the poor little cardiologist loser didn't know what to do. She's like a little intern. She like might be 28. I mean, I felt sad. I'm dead, and I'm feeling sorry for her. You know, I'm watching her, and I'm feeling sorry for her. I said, poor baby, great God. That's incredible. I'm dead, and I'm watching it, but I have lived, Gail, so much in the non-belief and the structural separation of what we call realities. I live in in the dead zone. Why, when somebody starts talking about it, I need to hear their name, because them saying their name creates a certain harmonic. Someone saying the name of a loved one. What is their first name? I don't even know any rest of that. It's, it's a resonant harmonic because coming with that voice, coming with that name, comes a, a voice and a tone and a frequency that gives me access. And I'm listening for it because I got good at it because being with people who are in transition, some I only know for hours and some I know for months, some I know for years. But from listening to them and trying to figure out how I can help that person. I can use that system to gain insight. And if you'll notice, whenever I'm doing it, I'm sincerely trying to help that person. I'm trying to, okay, we're going to face what the problem is because, like one of the people, it wasn't their fault. you trying to seek forgiveness for something you didn't do. And look how confusing it is. You're responsible for what some people was doing in the desert 6,000 years ago. Think about it. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, and where is this lake of fire? <laughs> okay, so tell us a little bit about Marianne Williams and you're helping her. Okay, so here's where I am. I like Marianne a lot. I like her. I mean, and she's a she's a kind of personality that you have to kind of watch carefully. But the time is right for the kind of conversation that Marianne is bringing forward. She's bringing about a forward of returning to love. I know politically it sounds odd, but there has never been an opportunity now in the next two years to the presidential election to find things to center on that causes people to rise to activism. And she decided to run for the presidency. 
So when I listen to her conversation, I see things that help people see in her languaging, to see the reality that we have created with our emotions, and to see that we're at a breaking point in the nation based on emotional reactions. We're getting mad about things. We have no idea what the history of it is. It's just everybody else, and we get in it. And this little kid on Empire, I cannot figure out what in the world would make somebody do that, knowing there's a billion cameras, and you in Chicago at 2.30 in the morning, and it's 30 below. Somebody ought to hang your ass. I'm, and you write them a check. <laughs> yeah, you and you put, yeah, checks in. It ain't even in the mail. Okay? So when you see that stuff, we're at a breaking point. And I think that where, where Marianne is, Marianne is saner and more spiritually depth, more spiritual depth in her conversation. And so I wear the pen and I support it and I am the complete opposite of her belief system. You know, I don't, I don't, I'm the complete opposite, but if I don't support what she's trying to bring forward, I'm failing my country and I'm failing the people that I love which is caregivers and first responders and people out there trying to make an empowering difference in the lives of others as a way of being themselves. And I, so I'm helping her politically. You know, I'm not bad at politics. <laughs> You've been uh, an amazing supporter of me. You've really been a mentor for me and helped me over the years. And when I did this transition into the finding your sexiness, you've been... You know, right there. Right there for me, and uh... let me tell you something, Gail. Everybody has the ability to change the direction of the value of their love, and understanding that time, the seventies, and you missed those, but the eighties <laughs> and the early nineties, you got a chance to see where people were going, and how not not perverted, but how out of focus what became sexual or desirable, okay? How out of focus it became because people were losing a way to have relationships with each other. And, I mean, I wrote this book as in a very kind of funny way about just the different personalities and the crazy stuff that was going on where people lost their mind. But, you know, now I, you know, I went from doing spiritual talks about healing and loving yourself and I'm transitioning into also believing that you can be a sexual, sensual being at the same time. And make money. And make money and be successful. I think that I think that that is the perfect balance. I think it's the perfect balance. This whole deal about being broke, okay, Jesus. It comes from Jesus at the temple. On Easter, when they decided to put those bracelets on him. So here's Jesus. He drove the money changers from the temple. Okay, so that means you can't be spiritual and have some money. Okay, well, what was he doing? Well, if you understand Hebrew in any way, you could, if the Romans occupied your land, then the only things that you could do trade in in currency was Roman coins. So we had shekels, okay. And you, and in order to be able to buy all the candles, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the, the bull you got to slaughter and 
some ants from frankincense. You got to snort, whatever the hell they were doing back then. Okay, you got to have all that stuff, but you had to pay for it in Roman money. So when it took 25 of your your shekels or whatever currency we had back then, if it took 25 to get one Roman dollar to pay for the stuff you have to have based on Easter and Passover and escaping from Egypt and all that stuff the Hebrews think, what Jesus saw was the exchange rate was unfair to the poor. He saw that that was unfair to the poor. And in being unfair to the poor, he drove the money changers. And then now, these days, a lot of people think, well, you can't be spiritual and have money. And no, I'm... It rationalizes their failure to monetize their ability, and then it creates an emotional place of envy or jealousy, and then a rationalization for not doing what you're supposed to do. And a real spiritual being can, be, can have success and love and all of it in their life. And give it away. Yeah, absolutely. What's this, the guy? The guy who played Crouching Tiger, I don't know what his name is, uh, and a bunch of these roles, he decided to set up a way to give away all of his money. He made it. It was fulfilling. And he decided what he would live off of and comfortable in his life, and he's given away $700 million. Okay, well, I don't know how to range all that because I don't have $700 million. But I know how to appreciate where he is in his mindset, knowing that the value of doing something that he loved in acting brought him this and the value of being able to share it and make a difference, just like Keanu Reeves raising up, supporting orphanages. You know, I mean, I supported, a, I used to go to uh, Peru, and I in Peru I supported an orphanage with taking people there, and I would take them on a mystical tour, and they didn't know one day was called spiritual awareness, and I took them all over to the <laughs> orphanage and had them work all day in the orphanage. That's very spiritual. Okay, right, <laughs> it was that day. And we found a kid in a garbage can in Cusco, and he's named him Bartholomew. He's now 24 years old, and he's working at the orphanage we brought him to. And people have been going there and shipping crayons and little makeup and stuff now for over 25 years. So I understand that if you're going to take a certain amount of your wealth and you're going to put it into service, then you get up for two reasons. You get up because you got to make a living, and you get up because you're going to make a difference. And when you get up in the morning and that's what you're thinking, that's what you're going to do. And then you set it. Money's the end product, good work. And is the financial system we live in collapsing? Yes. Is there a new financial system on the way? Yes. Should you be aware of that? Yes. Okay? But nonetheless, how you manifest materially and physically is making a plan of action and designating what you're going to be that's going to be a part of service. My success is that I stay around dying people, and the value I have is I can make a difference in the scariest time in their life because I've already been there. And it's conveyed to them whether I say it or not because I, I have that nature that's in between those two worlds, and people can feel it in my conversation. And 
I like to empower. I focus on veterans, American veterans, because I am one. And I have a place called U.S. Vets, which is which is where private and public come together, where business come in and buy a, a hotel, and then <laughs> then the organization comes together, and they you got to be sober and straight. You got to hunt a job, and then you collect clothes, and you know you dress them to go out for their interviews, and the guys get a job, and you watch him come home and pick out his wardrobe for tomorrow and he's sober and he's not hunting drugs and he's straight and he's looking at himself in the mirror and I get a chance to tell him how well he did and then I have a program where you set some certain rules and goals for yourself and those who meet those goals and rules I take them out to dinner I get them and I take them to Terry Fader's at the Ventriloquist at Las Vegas because Terry gives me the tickets I take them there to celebrate. They get to go out and eat a meal in a nice, in the MG at the Mirage. Then they go to Terry Fader's. They get a picture with him and back. And I watch that happen. And I watch them, Gail, and they could not feel the joy I feel watching them. And it's happening to them. And I'm an observer, but I already know in my life review <laughs> how much fun it's going to be. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, thank you so much. I love you, girl. And you got to stick around a whole lot longer. Well, I don't know about that, but I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> I am proud of you for exposing so much of your life that you will get attacked for it. That's why I was always on you. Okay, wait a minute. Don't say that. Okay, wait a minute. Change that word. Because I want people to see that wherever they come from and how crazy the world is, harmony and balance can be found. And you saw some of the wildest, most chaotic parts of indulgences that was necessary because of the time period. Most of it drug-fueled, and a lot of it the breaking down of the relationship structure of the family and people becoming too self-centered. Welcome to the 80s and the early 90s. <laughs> and look where you are. And anybody who looks at your kids knows you're an excellent mom. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, I love what Danyan had to say today, especially the stuff about fine-tuning yourself. That's so true. Really taking a look at your life and being responsible for your actions. And most of all, where he talked about forgiveness and just letting things go and not taking it so serious and being able to look back at things and just, you know, not to dwell on it and just have a little bit more fun and laughter in your life and especially forgiveness to yourself. The things he talked about, self-love and really seeing what you love about yourself, which is what people love in you and looking at your life as a whole and plan your life, be responsible for your life and your action, but also bring a lot of fun and joy into your life and really make a plan for yourself. So look at your life and, and plan out what you want to do, what you are doing, and don't just let life happen. I hope you really enjoyed this episode of Finding Your Sexiness. Please follow our podcast, subscribe and like us. And until next time, go out in the world and find your sexiness.